in the two years that, that we worked together, if there's anything that Rayanne showed me that, uh, that made an impact on me is that in hanging out with, with Rayanne, I wasn't motivated to somehow get things more right. I wasn't necessarily um, motivated to do this or that, but there was one thing that, that when I think about uh, the two years that I got to work with Rayanne uh, that, that marks it, and that's that in getting to see Rayanne every day, she made me want to fall more in love with Jesus. Not, not because of, of anything else out there or, or somehow making myself better, but Rayanne was just one of these people that when you hung out with her, when you listened to her talk, when you worked on projects with her, you just found yourself going, man, I want to know Jesus Christ more. And as we thought about what we would hope for for this weekend, our simple hope was that anybody that would show up for this weekend, uh, student leaders and otherwise, that at the end of it, you would walk away knowing Jesus more. And so... For our speaker this weekend, I want to introduce you to somebody that that's the legacy she left on me and and a staff that uh, is still uh, in part intact from when she was here. So please give a warm welcome to my friend, Rayanne Newquist. Very excited to be here. Um, this weekend, and it is a it is a huge privilege for me to get a little time away from my normal life as a stay at home mother of three. Um, and so, before you write me off, just because I said that, give me, give me a second. But anyways, um, it is an honor and a privilege to get to be back here. As Ryan said, I was here several years ago. And um, just as I get started, I was going to show you a couple pictures of my kids. I mean, because really, like. I think Carson pretty much showed us that he could be like the speaker for the weekend and we all would have the time of our life, right? So if I'm bombing, I'm calling that kid back up here. But um, I have tw- identical twin little girls and um, they are going to be four in April. So this is Georgia and Emma. And Georgia was a blue princess for Halloween and Emma was a red butterfly. So those are my two little girls. And then they love to play dress up. They are totally out of control. Every day is all about four inch heels, crowns, the whole nine yards. So they're a ton of fun. And then last year we had um, a little baby boy nugget and his name is Mac Roger Jones Newquist. We call him the Mac Daddy, Macaroni, Macaroon, Mackie Love, whatever. Um, he's gonna be one year old in three weeks. But that that right there is the story of this kid's life. My my daughters are obsessed with their little brother, and they are all over him all the time, and he doesn't like it too much. So, anyways, um, and then here's our family. So, at Christmas, yeah, my husband's so cute. <laughs> so, anyways, that's us. Um, and, yeah, so, anyways, just thought I'd give you a little snapshot into the, the monkeys. But it is a real privilege for me to be here this weekend. And, um, yeah. Having, having kids is kind of a trip. It's a little bit crazy. And one thing selfishly that I'm looking forward to this weekend is maybe getting a little extra rest than I normally get. 
Um, my, my daughters like to get up very early in the morning and sometimes they get up in the middle of the night and it's totally scary to be sound asleep and all of a sudden have this little face right next to you. You know, it's terrifying. So we've been very clear to them. You are not allowed to get out of your bed in the middle of the night for any reason. And my husband kind of freaked out because he's like, what if they're scared or what if they have a nightmare? I'm like, trust me, if they're scared, they're going to, you know, disregard anything I've ever said and they'll come running. But um, they share a room. And so now what they do is instead of getting out of their bed in the middle of the night to, you know, ask me something random, um, they'll just lay in their bed and shout. So I don't really know which is worse, but just this week, all of a sudden, I'm sound asleep and I hear this, mommy, mommy. So I wake up, freak out, go running down the hall and kind of come to as I'm in the hall, like, this is not okay. So I go over to her bed and I'm like, it's not okay for you to shout in the middle of the night. You're going to wake up your sister. You're going to wake up your brother. What's the matter? She goes, I can't find my dragon. you got to find my dragon. I'm like, okay, I'll find your dragon. We have a dragon? What? So, you know, kids don't make much sense at 2 in the morning, and, and neither do any of us. But um, I'm hoping that if any of you guys lose your dragon this weekend, talk to Ryan or talk to Becky, okay? Don't come waking me up. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah, because they might have it. You never know. Um, but this, just tonight, what I want to do is I just want to take... What? All right. Okay. <laughs> Um, I just want to take a, a little bit of time to kind of share with you a little bit about who I am. And I think it's really important that you guys know that what I'm going to share this weekend is something that I believe myself. It's not just something that I heard that I think is kind of cool and maybe it's fun for you, but it's, it's something that I believe myself. And so I want to share with you my testimony. Oh, one more thing real quick that's kind of crazy about kids. Um, I won't bore you with a bunch of kids' stories. Seriously, this is probably the last one I'll have. But um, along with shouting for dragons in the middle of the night and whatnot, my daughters have just started to ask some really crazy questions. And, again, they're almost four. And just the other day, my daughter's, like, coloring a little My Little Pony or Hello Kitty or something like that. And, and um, she goes, Mommy, where does Jesus live? And I'm like, well, and she's like, is he up in space? And I said, well, you know, he's in heaven with God. And then I'm like, but yet he's he's with us. He's everywhere. He's he's in your heart. You know, as I'm talking, I'm kind of like, how do you what? How, what do you say? And then she looks at me and she goes, he's in my heart. Like he's inside of my heart. And I'm like, well, um, yeah. And she goes, are you going to take me to the hospital so that he can get out of my heart? Just like just like the doctor took Mackie out of you. And I'm like, all right, this is this is getting bad. But, you know, kids. Kids ask crazy questions, but I'm so grateful that my children are are growing up hearing about Jesus. And that's pretty much how I grew up. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church every Sunday with my family. My family was pretty involved in church. And really, at a very young age, I heard about Jesus. And when I was five years old, I was in a little Sunday school group called the Whirly Birds. And we used to wear these little beanies in, in whirly birds that were red and white striped. And they had a little helicopter on top with a propeller that spun around. Five years old, we thought it was cool. Now, not so much. But um, at the time, we loved to put on our beanies at whirly birds. And if we did different things in whirly birds, they would give us little charms to sew on our beanie. Thought this was super cool. So one day, they started telling us about Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus and ask him into your heart, when you die, you won't go to hell. If you don't believe in Jesus, you know, you go to hell. And five years old, whoa, buzzword, hell. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go to hell. And 
then they started telling us, too, that in Romans 3.23, it says that everyone has sinned. Everyone is a sinner and has fallen short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin or the payment for sin is death. And so, like, you know, five years old, I'm doing the math here. I'm like, everyone's a sinner. That's me. The payment for sin is death, and you're going to hell. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I want to accept Jesus into my heart. But i got to tell you, they kind of sweetened the deal. Because there was this charm that you got if you believed in asked Jesus into your heart. And it was this little tiny black Bible. And at the bottom of it was a window. And if you looked in that window, John 3.16 was written out in it. Okay, the whole entire verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. All of that was in this tiny little Bible. It was like the first miracle I'd ever witnessed. And... I was so fired up about getting that charm that I'm like, I will totally ask Jesus into my heart. And um, I got the charm, and it was awesome. And I wish I still had that today, but I don't. Um, but anyways, I accepted Jesus when I was five years old, and I can honestly tell you that really God grabbed hold of my heart at a very young age. And at that time, I just knew that Jesus, when I died one day, I would go to heaven because Jesus had saved me from hell. And really, I fell in love with Jesus, and my time in Sunday school kind of grew into youth group, and I just, I lived at the church. I was involved in all sorts of different things, would love to invite my friends to church, and youth group went into college, and so forth. And then um, I took off to go to college, and I don't really ever remember a time when I didn't believe in Jesus. I never had a big time in my life when I strayed away from the Lord, and I went away to college, And really, it was my junior year in college that I met someone that would radically change my life, would radically change my faith. And I started out at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. And pretty much everything you've heard about it, if you've heard anything, it's true. It's it's beautiful. You've got a 180-degree view of the Pacific Ocean from the library. So, like, you're sitting in these Barco loungers looking at the ocean and fall asleep because you don't get anything done looking at the ocean. And it's just a a great place to go to school. I met some great friends there. And God really started working in my life in a big way when I was in college. My sophomore year, I felt like God was kind of saying, I think you should go to Wheaton College. Transfer to Wheaton College. Now, if you guys are unfamiliar, Wheaton College is a small private school, Christian school, in Wheaton, Illinois. Okay, Very different than Malibu, California. So I went and talked to my parents, and I said, gosh, you know, I feel like God is calling me to go to Wheaton. I don't think I used those words. I probably said, I think maybe I should transfer to Wheaton. And my dad, to my surprise, said, well, I think you should take a weekend and go out to Wheaton and check it out. I thought, okay. So I flew out to the Midwest and had a great weekend, and through a meeting with an admissions counselor that weekend, just really felt confirmed that, you know, the next year I, I should transfer to Wheaton. So I did. I applied, got in, and um, was ready to make the move to Illinois after my sophomore year at Pepperdine. So here I was. It was August, and my mom and I got on a plane and flew out to Wheaton. Um, Got there a couple days before the orientation started for transfers and new students. And when we landed, it was August in the Midwest. And so the minute you stepped outside, you were soaking wet. I mean, the humidity was like something I've never felt before. And my mom said, hey, before we go, you know, to where we're staying tonight, do you want to drive by campus? And I said, yeah, let's do that. So we drove around campus, and I had already been told what dorm I was assigned to. I was assigned to a dorm called Elliot. And my mom said, let's drive over to Elliot. Let's check out your dorm. I'm like, okay. 
So we drove over to Elliott. It's the furthest dorm away from campus. It was an all-women's dorm, which, that's all right. But each room was an individual room. So that meant that I would have no roommate. And this dorm was affectionately nicknamed the Kennel. So that was cool. <laughs> um, I had that going for me, right? So anyways, um, I kind of, it was one of these things where you could drive up the parking lot in front of your dorm. It was almost like a motel, like you drove up right to where the window was of your room. And so we drove up and parked, and I peered in the window, and I just started to cry. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I mean, it was like this little tiny cracker box with a bed and a little desk. And I mean, it just was so tiny. And I thought, oh my gosh, this looks so lonely, like solitary confinement or something, you know? Started off Wheaton, and I have to say that that turned out to be one of the toughest years of my life. I, everything that I think ever I felt any, or found any confidence in or security in was totally ripped away from me. I didn't know anybody there. I had no friends. I kind of got made fun of for the way that I spoke. Oh, yeah, total valley girl from California. Like, I don't really talk like that, do I? And I, I, I dressed differently than the Midwestern students did. It just, it was a really, really rough year. And I got to the point where I was so lonely that I literally would cry myself to sleep at night. And I would get up in the morning and I would pray, God, please, please just let me smile today. Please just let somebody make me laugh today. And I've never felt so lonely in my whole life as I did at Wheaton. And one night in particular, I woke up in the middle of the night and just kind of started getting anxiety, you know, thinking like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And I just started bawling again. And I kind of got mad at God and I got out of my bed and I went over to my window and I said, why did you bring me here and leave me all alone? Why did you bring me here and leave me all alone? And I'm bawling and I'm screaming. And I'm sure the other people in the dorm were like, okay, we got a loony in room two. But, um, <laughs> but I was so distraught and I was so angry that I felt like God had said, go to Wheaton. And I'm thinking like, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you to the Midwest where I don't know anybody, where everything is different than I've ever really known. I'm going to go. And I got there and it sucked. And it was horrible. And I was so lonely. And I just was so angry. And I'm just shouting out my window, why did you bring me here and then leave me all alone? And at that moment, it's like I looked out that window and I just had this vision of Jesus hanging on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you take me to the cross and leave me all alone? And at that moment, I realized that Jesus knew the epitome of loneliness. He knew loneliness even beyond the loneliness that I was experiencing at Wheaton. And it was at that moment that I met Jesus, my Savior, not from hell when I die, but from the hell I was living in right then. Jesus is so much more than just kind of our insurance from hell or kind of our e-ticket to heaven, you know? He's the savior from the stuff that we are going in our lives, going through in our lives every single day. Whether that be loneliness, insecurities, fear, doubt, maybe it's, you know, junk that our family has put on us from divorce or any other kind of chaos. Jesus can save us from all of those things, not just save us from hell when we die. And it was in my junior year that I felt like I really met Jesus, my Savior. 
And normally, when I'm sharing my testimony, that's kind of where it ends with the little bow, you know? And I met Jesus, my Savior. And I can tell you that tonight, um, for the first time in 16 years since I had my junior year at Wheaton, I'm going to give you a little bit of an extendo version um, of my testimony. Because after Wheaton, I ended up transferring back to Pepperdine to graduate, which is a whole other story I won't bore you with. And after that, I kind of started going into some different jobs. I um, was a water ski instructor at a camp and worked at camps actually for a couple years, ended up at E! Entertainment Television doing some stuff for them. And ultimately, I um, got into college ministry. And I think God did so many amazing things in my life during my four years in college that I just had a passion for college students and wanted so badly to tell college students about Jesus. In fact, one of my favorite things um, to tell college students about was the fact that you find your identity in Jesus Christ, okay? When you follow Jesus, he calls you a child of God. I always thought it should be like a tattoo. I always tell my husband, you know, I kind of threaten him, like, dude, if I ever get a tattoo, it's going to be right across my chest that says, child of God. That'd be scary. But, um... (laughs) Especially during the summer and bathing suit season. But anyways, um, and I feel like, you know, our identity is not found in, in the major that you have. Your identity is not found in who you're dating. Your identity is not found in your career or the title that you have. But when you're a follower of Jesus, your identity is found in him. And it's awesome because that never changes. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If our identity is being found in the world or what a title that we have, it's constantly changing. And it's kind of like... You know, you get a little schizophrenic. But your identity is found in Christ, and I love telling college students that. But then um, I went into full-time college ministry down at, um, in Malibu, at Malibu Presbyterian Church, and then found myself coming up here to the inn, um, doing ministry up here. And then a man that I had met nine years prior um, started pursuing me up here, and we got married. He was a man that I had met um, in Malibu. He was a pastor, actually, at the church in Malibu at the time that I first met him. Then um, he left to become a CHP officer, which is what my husband does. He's a cop. So don't mess around, okay? And um, anyways, he pursued me when I was up in Seattle, and we got married, which took me back to California because he works for the state of California. And I left my job here. And I can tell you that after a couple months of newlywed life that's so great, I felt super, super alone again. I was living in a town where I didn't know anybody, had no friends there, I didn't have a job, and for the first time in my life, once again, I found myself totally alone and right back to where I was when I was at Wheaton, of needing a savior. Because this time, not only did I feel alone, but I felt totally lost. I did not know who I was apart from college ministry. I had found my identity as a single woman in ministry. And my own words kept echoing in my ears. No, you're a child of God. Don't forget, you're a child of God. It's not based on your title or your job. It's based on Jesus, and he's still with you, and that never changes. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know, whatever. I still cannot find my significance in being a housewife. And I just, I struggled so much. And I can honestly tell you, the past five years of being married have been really challenging spiritually. They've probably been some of the driest spiritual years of my life. And my husband as well. Um, after he left full-time ministry, it, we found that it's just, it was just hard for us um, to be on fire for Jesus apart from being in ministry. So 
last fall, I get a call from the college pastor at Malibu Presbyterian Church. Maybe some of you know him, Dave Palmer. He used to be, um, he's a UW alum. He used to be at the Inn. He's a super great guy. So he calls me up. He's like, hey, you know, how's it going? I said, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? He comes over for dinner. And, you know, he's like, this is such a trip. I'm sitting here with two of my predecessors, you know, two former college pastors from Malibu Press and, 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 and he's, hey, I would love it if you guys would be our speakers for our fall retreat. And my husband and I are like, oh, really? Oh, my gosh. What would we say? We don't even know if we believe in Jesus anymore. Ah. Um, and, so, and so we said what you're supposed to say, you know. We'll think about it. We'll pray about it and get back to you, Dave. All right, thanks for coming. So Dave leaves, and uh, my husband looks at me. He's like, dude, you're doing it. I'm not doing it. I don't even know what I'd say. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute here, you know. And it wasn't like we had totally walked away from our faith in any way, shape, or form. I mean, we, we attend church regularly. We pray with our kids. Obviously, our kids were learning about Jesus, that he's living in their heart and perhaps going to come out via the hospital. I don't know. But... um <laughs> But really, our lives have become so different, and our faith has become really small. And we thought, what do we possibly have to offer these students? Well, it turns out, I had a conflict that same weekend, so I called Dave and said, so sorry, Dave, we can't make it. I know more than hung up the phone than Becky Riggers calls me. And she's like, dude, we want you to come speak at the winter retreat. And I thought, hung up the I'll pray about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> Hang up the phone. I look at my husband. He's laughing. He's like, dude, you dodged one bullet. You think you can dodge two? And I'm like, I don't know. And I just felt really convicted. No, you got to do this. And I felt like God said to me, all right, you want to re- get back to the place that you once were? You want to get back to the place where I am alive and moving in you and filling you up completely? Then buckle up because I'm going to take you on a serious ride. And you got to say yes to this. At a time in my life when I literally don't even have time to go to the bathroom alone, literally, Okay, there's always some little person coming in. God's like, you're going to do this. And I thought, wow, how am I going to have time to prepare for this? So I said yes. And I can honestly tell you the past three to four months in preparation of this, God has radically changed my life. And once again, once again has become a, a, a well of living water springing up within me. And my prayer, my prayer was that I would not come here this weekend and stand in front of you as a hypocrite to shout out different talks that maybe I've given before that I know are going to be impacting. I can rattle off all the verses that I know are going to, you know, speak to your heart or whatever. But if it's not coming from a life that's really living it, if it's not coming from someone with conviction, then I would just be up here a hypocrite. And just at the beginning of January, that just kind of, again, was my prayer. I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want to get up in front of these students and be a hypocrite. And so God said, okay, you've got each of your talks mapped out already. we got four weeks. Get ready. Because each week, I'm going to drive home each one of these talks into your life. And I'm going to bring it to life for you. These last four weeks, let alone four months, have been phenomenal. And... I know you don't know me, um, but I just want to say thank you because even this opportunity to be here this weekend has already radically changed my life. And I have been praying for you guys that Jesus would meet you in a way that you have never met him before in this weekend, not because of my words, but because of his word and because of his desperate love for you. 
that longs so much to save you, not from hell when you die, but to save you from perhaps the hell you're living in right now. And it doesn't have to be something enormous, although he will save you from that too because he's just that big. But even the little things in our lives that kind of wear at us like a pebble in our shoe, if it's not taken care of, that eventually can get to be a huge sore and infection and damaging to our whole life. But that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. We're going to talk about Jesus. He is so many things, but above all else, he is Savior. My question for you guys tonight is, do you have anything that you need saving from? Something to ponder and to think about. I'm just going to pray for us all, kind of pray for this weekend, and then the worship team is going to come up and I think close us out. So you guys will pray with me. Holy God, Jesus, Savior, thank you so much that you have such a radical love for each and every one of us that you went to great lengths to tell us how much you love us by dying on a cross. Thank you for your salvation. Not only, Lord, um, saving us from hell, but God saving us from the things that we struggle with each and every day. Father, we pray that you would move in a mighty way in this weekend, that um, for those of us who are asleep in our faith, I pray that you would wake us up. For those of us here, Lord, that have never met you, I pray, God, that maybe this weekend, as you knock on our heart's door and invite us into a relationship with you, I pray that maybe for the first time we'd say, yes, all right, I'm willing to take that step. For those of us who've struggled with doubts, God, I pray that in this weekend, you would speak your truth to us in such a way that we can say, okay, I'm going to trust you.